today we are starting a two-week series uh, on the two of, of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels. You see, last week, uh, Randy set us up beautifully for this because he ended his time by talking about what Paul talks about. Remember in, in Corinthians when Paul says, I want you to imitate me because I imitate Christ. Well, if we're going to imitate Christ, we need to know something about Christ. And so we're going to spend two weeks on two of the seven I am statements. If you have your scriptures, we're going to be in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Uh, want to welcome everybody? I, I didn't do that yet. I'm so sorry. Welcome. Welcome everybody online. Thanks for being here. Good to see you. Uh, well, sort of see you. I see the camera. Uh, I assume you see us. So I just pray that the magic of camera works. So John chapter 8, verse 12 This is what God's word says. Again, Jesus spoke to them. Them being the the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the chief priests, the religious leaders of the day. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This morning, I want to talk about how the danger in the darkness will never overpower the hope in the light. The danger in the darkness will never overpower the hope of the light. Do you believe that? Sometimes it's hard to see that, though, isn't it? But if we flip that around a little bit, maybe it makes a little more sense to us, right? The hope of the light will always overpower the danger uh, in the darkness. Now, my wife and I, we have have three children. We have three daughters. Prayer's helpful. Um, When our oldest was a baby, we were living in East Moline, Illinois. It's the only part of the state where Iowa's north. I... It just is. It's Iowa's north. Uh, I'm going to go head up north to Iowa. Um, And every night before we would go to bed, we would make sure that her room was all set, that our baby's room was all set. And that would include two bottles for those midnight, late night feedings. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Amen? No? Great? You're not with me? That's fine. We'll get you there. So we have these two bottles. And there was one night where I'm positive it was my turn to bring the bottles up. Because middle of the night happens, Stephanie gets out of bed, our baby's crying, she gets out of bed, I pretend I'm asleep because dad, that's what we do, pretending I'm asleep, and she goes into the baby's room and she comes right back out, Justin, we don't have any bottles. And I'm like, ah, yes, bottles. And so she's like, I need you to run downstairs and get them. I'm like, okay. And so I go down the stairs in the dark. Now you might be able to see where this is going, uh, but we, I get down to the bottom of the stairs and I start flying through our house. All right. Now our house isn't real big, uh, but I'm, I'm running. I'm like as run fast walking through the living room as quickly as I can. And I kick our black Ottoman coffee table that is sitting in the middle of the room. And it like takes my breath away where you kind of got to bend over and make sure everybody's still okay. But I'm not like I'm 
positive my toe is broken, it's gone, right? Like, I mean, it fell off, I'm sure. And I'm just like, this is no good. And so like, I'm leaning over, I hear our baby crying and I'm like, Justin, you're a dad. You gotta play hurt, man. Get back in the game. And so, so I go, I go into the kitchen, I hobble, I get the bottles, get it all mixed. I head back upstairs and I give the bottles. Our baby's quiet, she's being fed. And I'm like, just still bent over. And Stephanie's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I think I broke my toe on the black ottoman downstairs. And she goes, why didn't you turn on the light? Right, the light. Oh, that, that would have been helpful. Uh, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of us that are walking through life and all we need to do is turn on the light. I think we have all been through incidents where we are walking through the darkness and we fall, we stumble, we sin, we get hurt, we have pain. There's probably some brokenness, no pun intended. And we continue our journey in the darkness when all we really need to do is to find the light. I think some of us here today have lost the light. I think the last year has caused us to stop thinking about Jesus and start thinking about our circumstances. I think some of us have lost the light. I think some of us have shut off the light where we know the light's there, but we're going to try it on our own for a little bit. We've lost the light, we shut off the light, or we have just simply ignored the light and we're simply wandering around in the darkness thinking that this is normal. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In our scripture this morning, there is a truth and a choice. There's a truth that we need to live by and there is a choice that we need to make. We're gonna unpack that here in John chapter eight, verse 12. But before we do, I wanna go back and make sure we know how we got to John chapter eight, verse 12. Because sometimes we can read a verse and go, oh, that's nice. That should go on a plaque on our wall. But we don't know how it got there. And so I wanna go, I wanna go back. I wanna do some background work here. So let's go to Leviticus. No, that's too far. Uh, we're gonna go to John chapter seven and find out what is happening here that causes Jesus to say this. John chapter 7 begins with with the Feast of Booths. That's B-O-O-T-H. That's just really hard word to say. Uh, I don't know how to say that and sound smart. So booths. Uh, Or people might call it the Feast of Tabernacle. And during the Feast of Tabernacle, it's one of the three pilgrimage journeys that the Jewish people would have made in those days that, that celebrates the end of the harvest. We're familiar with that. And celebrates the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. And so it's one of the three big pilgrimage journeys that you make each year. And so we open up the chapter here and Jesus' brothers are packing for this long trip. They're getting ready to join the family caravan that marches up together. Well, Jesus isn't packing any bags. And they're like, hey, bro, you coming with us? And he's like, no, it's not my time yet. And so they're like, okay. So they get their stuff and they, they head out with the family caravan. We find out in John chapter, seven, verse, John chapter 7, verse 10, that Jesus actually does go up to Jerusalem, but he takes a private way. English Standard Version says he takes a private way, which means he's not a part of the family caravan heading up to Jerusalem. We see in John chapter 7, verse 14, it tells us that we are now in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacle and Jesus enters into a very busy temple and begins preaching and teaching. And the Jewish people marveled at his teaching, but the Pharisees and the scribes, 
they, described to, they, they decided to start testing Jesus, right? It reminds me of like a four-year-old where you say something and the next question is why? Well, because of the, why? Well, because why? Why? How come? Oh, that's why. Uh, you know, it's just like the Pharisees just need to shh, just be quiet for a second. He's Jesus. You're not. It's okay. You're not in charge. It's fine. The Pharisees had a hard time with this. And so in, in John chapter 7, verse 32, the Pharisees and chief priests had heard enough of Jesus. They decide at this point they're going to send in some police officers to arrest Jesus because they don't like what he's saying. Chapter 7, verse 32, Jesus continues to teach and people are really starting to believe in what Jesus is saying. But then there's also another group of people that are going, we agree with the Pharisees, this guy's a liar. There was this great division that was brewing between the Jewish people there. And the officers show up to arrest him. And I love this. Chapter 7, verse 46, they come back to the Pharisees and they say, the Pharisees are like, uh, where's Jesus? And they're like, uh, well, no one ever spoke like this man. So the officers are now buying into where they were supposed to go. And the Pharisees are like, you had one job, bro. Like, get it together. What are you doing? So the Pharisees are now at a loss, right? They're trying to stop the message of Jesus because they believe that he is not telling the truth. And so then, then this beautiful moment arises for the Pharisees. They find a woman who is caught in adultery. Do you remember this story? Jesus is in the temple. It's early in the morning. We're at the end of the Feast of Tabernacle now. And the Pharisees parade this woman in, airing all of her dirty laundry to everybody else. They say, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. What should we do? We, we assume you know what the law of Moses says, right? The law of Moses says is that we are to throw stones at her until she ceases to breathe. And Jesus, well, he bends down and starts writing in the dirt. And then he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. They all leave. They leave their rocks. They leave. And Jesus instructs the woman to go and sin no more. And then we get our verse in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to talk about a truth and I want to talk about a choice. You see, the truth comes in what Jesus uses as an identifying statement about himself I am the light of the world. Now, this would have stuck out to the Pharisees for several different reasons. One, because it goes all the way back to the Exodus story, Exodus chapter 3, when God identifies himself to Moses as I am. This would have thrown up some red flags with the Pharisees. Oh, I am. So you are assuming that you are the same stature of God? So they would have already been on edge about this. I am the light of the world. You see, this all happens in the treasury of the court of women. Now, what happens in the treasury in the court of women in the temple is actually the place where both men and women could come and give offerings. We hear about this in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is sitting there and he sees all these wealthy people parade in and give their offerings, and then he sees this widow, this woman whose husband has passed away, and she comes in and gives two coins and Jesus says, this woman has given more because she gives everything she has. You remember that story? This same location. 
the treasury of the court of women. And during the Feast of Tabernacle, there would have been four large pillars that stood up in the temple here. That, that, that had each, each of them had a giant bowl of light. It was, it was like a big flame. And, and Bible scholars said that when those were lit up in the night sky, when those were lit up in the night sky, that you could see it everywhere in Jerusalem. That there wasn't a place in Jerusalem where you couldn't see the light of the temple. Now, here's just some Bible math, because I think Bible math is interesting. This has just been floating around in my brain. Maybe this means something to you. I don't know what to do with it, but it's, it's going to be yours soon. So four giant pillars, four lights on each. How many lights total? 16. I heard it. 16. Somebody did their math. I like that. That's great. 16 lights in the temple of Jerusalem. John's gospel mentions Jesus as light 16 times. This, this statement that Jesus has just made is enormous. I am the light of the world. You see, light has great significance in the Bible. Light is what God creates first. Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Light is very important because God creates it first. Light was also used, and, and the Pharisees would have known this, light was also used to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Do you remember? A cloud by day and a pillar of fire or light by night. Then we get to Psalm, right? We get to Psalm 27, and David talks about the security of the light. When he says in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And I think it's interesting to note that this is not the first time Jesus is in the temple being referenced as light. You see, we have to go all the way back to the end of Jesus' birth narrative that we talk about around Christmas time. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. We see this older man named Simeon who has been prompted by God that he will not pass away until he meets or sees the Christ child. And so as Jesus' parents bring him into the temple to present him before God, Simeon sees him. The Holy Spirit prompts him. He takes Jesus in his arms and he prays this prayer. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, he is implying that the world is not filled with light, but that it is filled with darkness. You see, if the world was filled with light, Jesus wouldn't come identifying as the light. The world is filled with darkness. And here's, here's where I think we get stuck. Here's where I think we, we trip up a little bit. Here's where I think we have a roadblock for us is that we continue looking at the world expecting it to be the light that we need. If we're honest, we have neglected Jesus as our light. We have neglected Jesus as our hope and we have placed a hopeful light in something or someone else. If only I get this promotion if only I get this home, if only I get this car, if only my family acted this way, if only this person gets elected, if only, if only, if only, if only. 
We have placed too many hopeful lights in other things that are much smaller than Jesus. And here's here's the thing. Because of this, we have not rested in the power of Jesus. We have not rejoiced in his provision. We have not even returned to his presence. Here's the thing. I'm under like some walking restrictions here because of the cameras and we don't want to make anybody at home dizzy. So I'm going to be within an arm, but I'd rather be down here on the floor because I think, thank you, because I think that the more that we ignore the light, the more we invite the darkness. When we ignore the light, we invite the darkness. We invite the danger that is associated with the darkness. We invite something smaller than Jesus to be our temporary light. We invite the tragedy of the darkness to become the reality of our lives. When we ignore the light, we invite the darkness. But when we invite the light, the capital L, Jesus-filled light, when we invite the light, we watch as he invades the darkness. We watch as spectators, as Jesus invades the temporary. We watch as Jesus invades tragedy. We watch as Jesus invades the world with his light. Oh yes, there were 16 candles in the temple in Jerusalem and that lit up the temple so that all of Jerusalem could see. Jesus did not come to light up the temple, but to light up the world. That is our truth. I am the light of the world. There is a truth and there is a choice. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The choice that sits in this verse is the choice that Jesus is laying out before the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, the religious leaders of the day. He's giving them this exact same choice. He's talking about a choice between walking in darkness and having the light of life. Walking in darkness means that we have absolutely no idea where we are going. You know, we look real silly, right? Like, I mean, just kind of like walking around. Hands out in front of us so we don't bump in anything. We walk in darkness. We have no idea where we're going. This, this phrase, walk in darkness, is the biblical imagery of not just going on a stroll at midnight. This is not just waking up at 4 a.m. so I can go on a dark walk. This is not what this means, right? Walking in darkness does not mean a stroll, but it actually means denying the light doing everything we can to limit the light, to hinder the light, to block out the light. The original Greek text of walk in darkness actually means a darkening of the mind and of the soul. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This might hurt a little bit, but when we are walking in darkness, we are not in step with God. When we walk in darkness, we are not in step with God. We are wandering. We are aimless. 
We're lost and cannot find our way. But the other side of this choice is to have the light of life. There's there's the action of walking in the darkness. And then there's the action of having, possessing, holding on to the light of life. We get the choice of either an aimless journey in the darkness or an intentional relationship in the light. This whole choice sits with one word in our scripture, and it's almost the grammatical center of our scripture. It's this one word that Jesus uses. He says, whoever follows, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, when Jesus says this, he is implying that if we do not follow him, We will be walking and wandering aimlessly in the darkness. But if we do follow him, if we do follow the light, that we will actually possess the light of life. We will hold on to it. We will have it. We will own it. And this word follows shows up a lot in the New Testament. The majority of the times are when Jesus is calling the first disciples. Let me remind us of those stories. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. Jesus sees fishermen He calls out to them, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. So, But they get out of the boat. They get out of the boat. They leave dad's boat. They leave their family business. They get out of the boat. They leave dad to finish the catch. And they come following Jesus. Then we see see Matthew's calling, right? Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus passed by this tax booth. Matthew was a tax collector. Well, we love those guys, right? Matthew was a tax collector for the Roman government, and Jesus just looks at him and says, follow me. No no explanation. No, this is where we're going. No, here's our map. No, get your backpack together. He just says, follow me. And Matthew gets up. He leaves Rome's money there, leaves his job, and he goes. And he follows him. This, This word shows up again in Matthew 19. And this is not a calling of a disciple, but a challenge to a young man. Jesus is speaking with the rich young man, and he tells him to sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. You see, when Jesus tells people to follow him, he's not talking about going through the motions, but going through transformation. Henry Nouwen writes a book actually called Following Jesus. Any of his books are magnificent, but this one I I, I especially loved. He says this, following Jesus means to live our life in his spirit, in his light, in his heart, but with our spirit, with our light, and with our heart. This is a whole life change. This is a whole life transformation. This is not something that's done on Sunday and Monday through Saturday or just a wash. See, the call of Jesus saying, follow me, is a call away from self-centered darkness into Savior-centered light. Following Jesus is a necessary trait and condition of being a Christian, of being a disciple, of being in the light. And there's two things here. If we want to be in the light, then following needs to become a character trait. 
Following needs to be about who we are. There are a lot of books on leadership. There are a lot of Christian books on leadership. There aren't that many books on followership. See, we're called to be followers. If we want to be in the light, following needs to be a character trait. We cannot say on Sunday that we follow Jesus and then Monday through Saturday we're chasing others or ourselves. Following Jesus must become a character trait that embodies everything we are. Two, if we want to be in the light, following Jesus needs to become a condition of our hearts as well. You see, we cannot develop a character trait without our hearts. Because the condition of our heart will determine who and how we follow. Let me say that again because we should have written that down. But that's all right. The condition of our heart will determine who and how we follow. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's a truth and a choice. See, the truth is found in the identifying words of Jesus when he says that he is the light of the world. But the choice, the choice is found in us. Whether we choose to walk in darkness or we choose to have and hold on to the light of life. Here's what I know. Here's, here's what you know. I'm not telling you anything you don't know yet. But I think as Christians, we need to do a better job of reminding each other. So we know this. I know you know this. You probably know this better than I do. Darkness is hard. Darkness is is aimless. Darkness is deep. Darkness hurts. Darkness leaves us blind. Darkness will lead us to places we don't want to be. And darkness will leave us feeling alone because we can't see that others are around us. Darkness feels empty and heavy all at the same time. Darkness plays games with our minds, with our senses, with our self-perception. We all know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But I think it's okay to be reminded of these. But now let me tell us who light is. Let me tell us how light feels, right? Let me, let me remind us about the light of the world. Let me remind us about the light of life. Let me remind us of the light that we have in Jesus. Light invades the darkness. Light makes darkness obsolete. Light tells darkness, hey, darkness, you don't matter anymore. Light brings life, it brings clarity, it brings community because light reveals that others are around us going in the same direction. Light restores the heart, refreshes the soul and revives hope. Light tells darkness, you didn't win, you won't win and you will never ever win. There's two journeys that we can take. There's two choices that we can make. And I know we'd love that secret third choice, but there's two choices we can make. We can go on a journey towards darkness where we will fall, we will get hurt, we will trip, we will experience a a deep brokenness, we will experience pain, we'll experience isolation, loneliness, depression, anxiety, we will experience all of these things in darkness. If I was a travel agent, you guys aren't getting on that plane. 
That's one journey. The other journey, the other journey is towards light. Capital L, Jesus-filled light. And let me tell you something, because I don't think people were honest with me as a child. That journey is going to hurt too. That journey is going to hurt too. Sometimes worse than that one. Because in this journey, we, we trip and we, we fall. We get hurt. We have pain. We deal with real things like depression and anxiety. This journey over here hurts too. But in this journey, we don't hurt alone. This journey, we're able to see the path because the, the lamp is lighting the path for us. And when we fall over here, we fall into the Savior's arms. When we fall over here, we just fall. Nobody's there to catch us because nobody can see us. But when we fall over here, we're caught by the Redeemer, by the Rescuer, by the Restorer, by the Savior of the world where, where that cross was brutal but couldn't hold on to Jesus. And that tomb was sealed but it couldn't hold on to Jesus, which means that our cross and our tombs certainly cannot hold Jesus back. See, I thought when I got into ministry 15 years ago, I, I thought it was going to be just wonderful. Like, man, just every day's like Bible camp. That'd be awesome, right? Get a free t-shirt every day. We smell a little funny every day. And then at the end of the day, we're all going to get goldfish and Cheerios and eat them all together. I thought it was going to be great. I thought it was going to be wonderful. I thought being a pastor would really help my spiritual life. I thought by being in God's word every week to teach every week was going to really enhance my spiritual life. But you know what? Life is hard. And darkness has a way of creeping in. And there's sin that I struggle with each and every day. Every single day. And luckily, I serve an everyday father. I serve an everyday savior. And if we're honest with each other, we have sin every day too. Might look different, but we have sin every day too. And I think it's important to remind you, to remind myself that we serve an everyday savior who picks us up and carries us when we can't walk anymore. So we have the truth we have a choice. And I don't think anybody should leave here until you decide which journey you're going to take. Because this is not a Sunday morning decision. This is an everyday crucial decision. When your feet hit the ground, Satan is working and Jesus is restoring. We have to make an everyday decision to go on the journey with the light. Yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. But if we allow Jesus to be the light of our heart, 